Thank you, Pastor Eric, for your uh, warm introduction. And um, I want to also add um, to that introduction, if I may, that uh, my wife and uh, my children are joining us today. My wife is taking the kids downstairs to the nursery, but uh, she'll be back up in a little while. Um, grace and peace be multiplied to you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. It is a privilege for me to stand before you while I like to preach. I am one who believes that I don't got to preach, I get to preach. And so it is a privilege to be here uh, with you today. Um, let me first start by expressing, publicly expressing my um, gratitude to Pastor Dan for uh, this invitation to speak to you on this morning. Again, it is a privilege to be here for you, if, if be here with you. If you don't know already, you have a phenomenal pastor and pastor Dan. He is an amazing, amazing man of God. And it's just no way you can be in the same room with Dan and like, not just, you know, feel like you want to go do something, you know, I mean, he's just full of energy and I really appreciate him as well as your leadership here that is carrying on in his, uh, stand in his stead. Um, my intention is not to hold you long today, uh, but to instead hold you right. And so I'm going to ask if you would go ahead and grab your Bibles um, and open those up. We're going to be reading a rel relatively familiar passage. Um, this verse may be fam more familiar to some than others, but Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15. Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15. I will be reading from the ESV, and the text for today is as follows. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to speak to you from the subject this morning, a true thanksgiving, a true thanksgiving. Would you pray with me, most gracious and heavenly father? Yahweh God, we appeal to you now, God, because no one in here came to hear me. Your people have gathered together to hear from you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would speak to those who you have called to yourself, Father God, as well as to those who you are calling to yourself, Father God, that we may be encouraged on this day, Father God, uh, that we may remember your goodness, Father God, in our lives that we may recognize what it is you require from us, Father God, that we would uh, resolve, Father God, to serve you and to express our thankfulness in the way that you want that to be expressed, Father God. Speak to us now, Father God. Your servants are listening. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, on last night, um, my wife and I were watching this show on National Geographic in which they showed a image on the screen and the image you could kind of make out the, the the shapes but the color was off and they told you to stare at the center of the screen 
as long as you could. And then they changed the picture while you were staring at the screen. And when they changed the picture, what you saw was an actual real picture of a beach umbrella and a beach and nice trees and and, and nice uh, uh, ocean. And and when they changed the color, you saw the blue ocean. You saw the kind of yellowish, tannish sand. You saw the uh, uh, green trees. You saw the blue umbrella. You saw all these things. And then they told you to look away and then look back. And when you looked away and you looked back, the picture was black and white. There never really was any color. Because you had stared at that image so long you had fixed it in your mind that this is what the image looks like or supposed to look like, even though in reality you were just looking at a black and white picture. And I'm wondering, church, Village Church, that as we prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving, if we have we been looking at the picture of how the world celebrates Thanksgiving so long, that we are, it has distorted what Thanksgiving really looks like. So that when we say Thanksgiving, and particularly on Thursday, we're not looking at the real image of what we see in the Bible as Thanksgiving, but we're looking at a black and white picture, a figment of our imagination. And so on this morning, I want to encourage you that as we prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving on this upcoming week, that we want to celebrate a true Thanksgiving a true thanksgiving. Now, what what do I mean by that? If we think about the list of activities that many of us will engage in or many of Americans will engage in on this this, this upcoming holiday, uh, we start to go down the list. And and let's just be honest. Let's go down the list. Perhaps we will buy food. Perhaps we will go get food from somewhere. Perhaps we will cook the food. Perhaps we will gather around the table while the food is nice and hot and we'll tell people, go around the room, say what you're thankful for, hurry up quick, don't let the food get cold, right? Perhaps that's what Thanksgiving will look like for some of us. But perhaps some of us will even begin to express our thankfulness by starting off the morning by serving others uh, or, or serving others in the afternoon. Maybe a father-son football game or a neighborhood community football game. For some of us football fans, we get to watch up to three football games starting at 12 o'clock. Three football games, American tradition. For some of us, we may even depart our humble abodes and go uh, 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 to maybe find a movie theater that's open, maybe even try to find bowling. And for some of these poor, brave souls, we will actually go get in line for Black Friday sales the next day. This is what we call thanksgiving. And I don't know about you, Village Church, but when I look at those last, these list of activities, I'm confused as as to how a smorgasbord or a half day of service or watching three football games has anything to do with thanksgiving. And I want you to hear me because I'm not judging your practices. I like food too. I like to watch football. I like to go shopping. And I, I, I'm not talking about the practices. I'm talking about the heart. And so what I want to point your attention to this morning is a true thanksgiving. 
not just a day for mankind to indulge their guilty pleasures under the guise of thanksgiving, but true thanksgiving. And the issue is, is if that's, if that, what we say, what we've come to know in America is not true thanksgiving, it begs the question, what is true thanksgiving? What does true thanksgiving look like? And that's why I wanted to come from this text this morning. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15, because even though Joshua never says the word Thanksgiving, even though you can argue that the text is really not about Thanksgiving, what Joshua does here is he actually models Thanksgiving. He models Thanksgiving for the nation of Israel, and he models Thanksgiving for his family. And so what we see here in the text that we uh, just read is that Joshua is giving a challenge to the nation of Israel to serve the Lord. But before we do that, let me just back up and give you a little background as to what's going on. The book of Joshua, the sixth book in the Bible, is about how Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt land. And Joshua leads the children of Israel into what we call the conquest to take over the promised land. And we learn in Joshua chapter 23, 14, that Joshua has done his job. And now he's about to go the way of the earth. He's about to die. He's about to go on. And so what Joshua does in chapter 23 is he calls all of Israel together and he gives them like his one last speech. But then we see in chapter 24 that Joshua calls all of Israel together again. And then he hands over the mic, the mic over to the Lord and the Lord begins to remind them of everything that they've done, of everything he's done for them. And then Joshua takes the mic back and says, now, after all God has done for you, serve the Lord. And so what I want to do, Village Church, for this brief time that I have. Is I just want to take a time to look at this text and just pull out three aspects of true thanksgiving, what thanksgiving really entails, what thanksgiving really looks like. And so the first thing that I want you to see in the text is that true thanksgiving begins with a recognition or a remembrance of what God has already done. True thanksgiving begins with the recognition or remembrance of what God has already done. In verse 14, it says, now, therefore. We have this saying at my church at Infinity that whenever you see a therefore in the text, you need to go back and see what the therefore is there for. This is telling us that Joshua is talking about something earlier in the text. And if we do just a little bit by a Bible study, we'll see that this therefore is connected to uh, uh, verse 24, uh, chapter 24, verses 1 through 13. So whatever he says in, in verses 1 through 13 is what produces or what should cause them to want to serve the Lord. So what does he tell them in verses 1 through 13? Look at what it says. It says, and I'm, uh, this part I'm reading of the NASB, it says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. That right there is enough to be thankful for. You see, if you study the book of Joshua, you'll see that the previous meeting place for the nation of Israel was Shiloh, not Shechem. And the question is, why here does Joshua change the meeting place to Shechem? But then when you go all the way back to Genesis, you realize that Shechem is the place where 
God made the promise to Abraham that he would give them the land. So now they're standing in the land at the very same place that God promised them he would give them the land. God has brought his promise full circle. Here it is. God has made good on his word. And that enough, that should be enough right there. The fact that God kept his promise should be enough for us to be Thankful to the Lord. But Joshua, Joshua says he gathered all of them. He gathered all of their leaders and they all came to, to listen what God had to say. And then Joshua kind of goes into prophet mode and he, he, he says, thus says the Lord. He hands the mic to God. And then God begins to go down this list of things that he had done. For them, And I like this because in verse two, he says, from the ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor. They, and they served other gods. I like this because many times when we think about Thanksgiving, we'll say, I'm thankful for my family. And I'm thankful for uh, the car we have or transportation or the provision or the heat and, and all that's good. And we should. But I like what God does. God says, no, let me take you back to where you would have been if I never called you out. Your father, terror, served false idols. In other words, you were on a path to destruction. If you had if I had never reached out and I had never saved and chosen Abraham, you all would have been nothing but idol worshipers. And it's the same thing with us today. When we're thinking about true thanksgiving, we must remember not just where we are. Yes, we have a nice church. Yes, we have a nice family. But God, I thank you that when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, you sought me, you chose me, and you redeemed me to yourself. You must start by remembering what God has done. He chose Abraham out, but then... We get into verses two through four, and I'm not going to prolong the sermon by going all the way through this, but if you were to write down the verbs that God uses, he says, I gave, I made, I gave, I gave, I gave, I gave Abraham the land. I gave uh, Abraham Isaac. I gave Isaac Esau and Jacob. I gave Esau uh, 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 the, the, the mountain seer, the, the rough mountains uh, where the Edomites are. I gave him that. And so the first thing I think when we're recounting the list, we, we start with our salvation, but when, we, when we're recounting the list of things God done, has done for us, we should remember that God has provided for us. We should remember his provision for us that God gave, God gave, God gave. What did God give you this morning? Or perhaps here's a better question. What do you have that God did not give you this morning? And that should spur in us. That should urge us into true thanksgiving. But then he goes on. I gave, I gave, I gave. Then we get into verses five through seven. But that was before the promise. And now they're actually in Egypt land in verses five through seven. And God says, I brought I brought, I brought you out of Egypt where you were destined. You were eventually going to die. I brought you out, he says. I brought your fathers out, he says. And so what we see is God's preservation of a nation. That while they were 
destined to die while they were had their backs up against the Red Sea and there was nowhere to go because Pharaoh and his armies were chasing them and Pharaoh's got all of his chariots and a real army and you've got these 2.1 million people standing up a Red Sea. Most of them can't fight. They were going to get wiped out. But God says, no. I told the water to move out the way so that you can go through. I've preserved you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is there anybody who know and you look back over your life, you shouldn't be here? You know there was perhaps a car accident. You know perhaps there was some activity you were engaged in. You know perhaps somewhere on your walk, somewhere on your journey, if God had not stepped in, you would be dead today. We ought to thank God for his provision, but we ought to thank him for his preservation. But then, gets down to verse 8 through 12 and he talks about his protection. I delivered you from the Amorites who also wanted to wipe you out. He says the prophet Balak came to curse you. I'm sorry, Balaam came to curse you at the request of Balak. He was going to put a curse on you in order to wipe you out. He said, but I didn't allow him to, to, to curse you. As a matter of fact, I made him bless you. He said, I protected you the whole time. And then we see down in verses 11 through 12 how God is consistently fighting the battles for them. And he goes to name all the people that he fought. He says, the citizens of Jericho fought against you, the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Girgashite, the Hivite and the Jebusite. Boy, what did Israel do to make all them people mad? But people after people after people coming after them to wipe them out, to destroy them, and they could do nothing. Why? Because God was protecting them at the whole, the whole time. Isn't it good to feel the protection of God? As you walk down the streets of Hamden, as you walk down the streets of Baltimore, to know that, man, you can get across the street, not because of a cop who's flashing his light, but because God is exercising his protection on you. Isn't it nice to sit in here this morning, unlike our brothers and sisters in other countries who have to worry about terrorists coming in and act, doing, doing bad acts while they're in service? It's a constant threat every day. Isn't it good to just feel God's protection? God has been good to us. And the way that we are truly thankful to God starts by we're recounting all that God has done for us going back to when he called us out of our sins and trespasses and how he brought us into his marvelous light and given us new life in him, how he's provided for us, how he's protected us, how he's preserved us. And if you're struggling with that this morning, let me give you a simple action step. Every day, today, go home tonight, write down what God did for you today. When you wake up tomorrow, pray a prayer of thanksgiving for what God did for you today. What you'll notice is that over a period of time, you'll have a long list of things God did for you that you can be thankful. But it starts, Village Church, by going back and seeing what God has done for us. Now, therefore, now that you know what God's done for you, now choose to serve the Lord. But here's the thing. Many of us, Think about how God wants to be served. I mean, think about God deserves to be served. But the problem is, is we don't necessarily know how he wants to be served. And so we, we, we began to, 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 to serve him in whatever way that we 
want to serve him. And, and, and what Joshua says is, no, you, you, you can't do that. You have to recognize or you have to realize what is required in order to serve the Lord. You ever got up on one of those Black Fridays? You can be honest. We all, like, I have. We good? We, we friends? Okay, good. Um, so we get up on these Black Fridays, and we go out and we buy a whole bunch of stuff. And why do we buy this? Not because we want it. Not because the person we're buying for, that we're buying it for wants it. We do it because it's on sale. That's, that's why we buy it, right? Oh, a robe. I think they love a robe. Right, wife? Yeah, a, a tie. I think that it's on sale, right? It's two for 16. Let's get, let's get like six of them, right? And we get this, and then we give it to the person, and the person that we give it to, you know, they're all excited, and they're rumbling through the box, and they, 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 they open the box, and, and, and when they open it, it's like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, mm, yeah, wow, wow, mm. And it's like, yo, why did you get me this? And the response is, I got it for you because it's on sale. Church, I feel like sometimes we only offer the worship to God that we can afford and not what he demands. We give God what we get on sale and we don't give him the full price of the worship that he demands. And so what Joshua says here is you can't give God a, a, a worship that you got on the clearance rack. The worship that God demands comes in, in, in what God asks for. What does he ask for? He says it right here. He says it right here in the text. He says that you must fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. When we express our thankfulness to God, it ought to be serving him in fear. What does that mean, fear? Because a lot of people look at me like, oh, okay, wait a minute. I'm confused. Wait a minute. I was scared of God. No, that's not what he's talking about. It's not talking about fear like terror or dread. He's talking about being in awe of God, having reverence for God. You ever watch Storm Chasers? Some people do, some people don't. Okay, so it doesn't matter. You can watch it on the regular news, right? Where you get these people who have these panoramic cameras, and what they do is they um they follow tornadoes. That's what they do. They follow tornadoes. They follow hurricanes. They follow all kinds of crazy natural phenomenons. I, I know the Bible says a fool has said in his heart there is no God. My version says a fool follows tornadoes with cameras. But anyway, hey, look, you know that's just me. But look here, hey, look. So here's the thing. He's following these tornadoes. But here's the thing. These guys are observing the. Mod- the majesty and the power of the tornado. And they don't have to be scared of the tornado because they're not in the tornado's path of destruction. They can stay back and watch the majesty and the grandeur and the power and the movement of the tornado without having to be scared of what what it can do to you. Here's what I'm saying. God wants us to fear him in such a way that you and I have been pulled out of the pit of destruction. We don't have to be worried about facing God's wrath as believers in Christ. Romans 8 1 says now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so this is not a terror or dread where we're oh God don't hurt me. No what it is is that we reverence and we're in awe of his power and his majesty and his grandeur. That's what God wants in his worship. That's how we show our thankfulness to God by fearing him. 
by being in awe of him, by showing him reverence. One commentator said it like this, by having a reverential awe. Say that three times real fast. So God wants us to reverence him. That's how. Are we reverencing him when we put our turkeys in the oven and put it on the plate and say dinner served? Now everybody go around the table, now let's eat. He wants reverence. Not only does he want reverence, he wants authenticity. Joshua says, you got to serve him. He says in sincerity and in truth, ESV, it says faithfulness. You see, the problem with Israel as well as many of the nations that were around them is that they were some tiny folks. You see, the, the, the nations around them called on the God that they needed to call on at that time. If rain was an issue, let's call on the rain God. If we're going to war, let's call on the war God. Uh, if there's a famine in the land, let's call on the food God. They, they just call on the God. If there's a problem with the crops, call on the crop God. We'll worship the crop God. We'll serve the crop God. And if we be honest, a lot of us are just like them. If we, if we really want to be honest, you can be holy in here if you want to. That's good. I'm not here to judge. Here's what I'm saying. If you've ever been on a plane that starts to shaking in the middle of the air, right? God, you know, you haven't been paying attention to God the whole time. But all of a sudden, God, if you let me live, I will fill in the blank. God, if you get me out of this jam that I am, fill in the blank. we call on him when we need something. But, but, but when we don't need anything, we, we got it from here. And God says, no, you can't serve me like that. Your service has to be faithful to me. It has to be consistent. Good times, bad times, it's got to be consistent. But it's also got to be sincere. It's got to be blameless. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be spotless. You can't be coming to me with false motives and false intentions. You got to serve me with authenticity, God says. But not only does he require authenticity, he requires action. Look at what he tells him in the text. He says, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness, but also put away your gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt. You see, not only does he require awe and authenticity, he requires action. There are a lot of people who may sit in the recliner on Thursday and they just sit in the recliner, you know, maybe it's grandma, maybe it's granddad, maybe it's you and laid back in the recliner I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful. Oh, that turkey was good. Many of us in the church, this is our posture in the church. We don't serve. We don't give. We don't lead. We don't contribute. We just sit back and we say, I'm thankful. But with God, thankfulness it's in the heart, and yes, it's also expressed just by a one-on-one -on -one, uh, uh, relationship with God, but it's also expressed in service to God, action. And the action that he calls him to take here is the action of putting away your gods because that's the problem that Israel still had. Put away your gods. That was the corresponding action. You really want to show your thankfulness to me? You really want to show me that you appreciate what I've done for you in verses 1 through 13? Then put away your gods. Put away your idols. And perhaps for some of us, that's how we need to begin with our expression of thankfulness. We need to put away our idols. 
We need to put away our gods. We need to get rid of our God of alcoholism. We need to get rid of our God of adultery. We need to get rid of our God of, of fornication. We need to get rid of our God of, of pride. We need to get rid of our God of, of, of success. We need to get rid of all the gods, self-image, all the gods that we say, put away your gods. Perhaps that's where some of us need to start. But for some of us, the corresponding action, you, you may have already done that. You may have repented. You need to get busy serving the kingdom. For some of us, the corresponding action is you need to get busy leading. For some of us, the corresponding action is you need to get busy giving. But with God, he always demands all authenticity and action from those who serve him. And so true thanksgiving doesn't look like giving God the tie that was on sale. It looks like giving God what he asked for. And we have to be resolved in our mind that we are going to do just that, serve God the way that he deserves to be served. Which brings me to my last point. True thanksgiving should result in a resolve to serve the Lord. Should result in a resolve to serve the Lord. Look at what Joshua says in the bottom of the text here. He says, basically, Joshua says, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Here's his resolve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here is Joshua's famous resolve to serve the Lord. Perhaps some of you may have this on a poster in your house. Perhaps some of you have posted it on your Facebook or have it in your, 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 your signature line on your, your, your email about how Joshua made this choice. But here's what's interesting to me. Joshua's choice here is a voluntary choice. It's not a choice made out of fear or because he has to or for the sake of impressing other people or for, for, for letting other people know it's on his mind. He makes it in thankfulness for what has happened in verses 1 through 13. All that God has done with him, he remembered. All that God has done for him, he recognized but what was required. But all that God has done for him pushed him to want to serve the Lord. And I like this because it's he wanted to serve the Lord, Lord regarding of what, regardless of what everybody else was wanting to do. So here's the deal. What, why, why do I call this a resolve and not just a choice? Because in doing this, Joshua had to make some choices. He had to make a strong resolve. Number one, by, by refusing to serve the God of his ancestors. He said, put away, he said, you can serve the God of your fathers. You can do that, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to serve the Lord. Joshua had to make the choice. Joshua had to go back and think about what his father served. And recognizing that what his father served and who his father served didn't save him from his sins and trespasses. Who his father served didn't bring him out of the land of Egypt. Who his father served didn't show him the promised land. Who his father served didn't lead him and land him into the promised land and fulfill all the promises that had been made. He said, I can't serve the gods of my father. I got to serve the Lord. And I say that this morning because perhaps some people are still serving the gods of their fathers, whether intentional or not. We got this idea of the generational curse. Well, my dad wasn't there for me and his dad wasn't there for him. And so therefore, I'm not there for my children. 
We've got different gods we're still serving. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom was an alcoholic. So therefore, my mom was a drug addict. My mom was a prostitute. So I'm this. I'm that. I'm, I'm just a chip off the old block. And Joshua said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm putting all that stuff away. I don't care what mom and dad were. It doesn't matter what mom and dad were. In light of all what God has done for me, I must serve the Lord. Perhaps many of us had believing parents who were just had worship down the wrong way. You must dress up on, on, on every Sunday. You cannot eat in the sanctuary. You must go to Sunday school. You must go to buy. And they had all these rules. And so he said, no, I don't want to serve the way my mom and dad serve. After all what God served me, I want to serve God the way he wants to be served. And so Joshua says, one, I refuse to serve the God of my ancestors. I'm not doing that. I'm going to serve the Lord. Not only that, he had to resist the negative influences of the culture. He said, you can serve the gods of the Amorites in the land in which you live. These Amorites were serving polytheistic gods. We talked about this. God of love, God of war, God of rain. Call on the God that you need at the moment. And it's very tempting, if we be honest with ourselves, to when we're in Rome, do what the Romans do. They have now been brought into Canaan land, and you have the Amorites, and you have the, all those types that we talked about earlier. And they're all serving people. It's, it's, very it's very easy to look at them and to want to serve what they're serving. And Joshua says, no, don't do that. Don't serve those gods. Serve the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. And perhaps, church, sometimes we don't fall into the trap of serving other gods because we are weak and, and, and fall into their culture. Perhaps sometimes we feel like in order to reach them, we need to change our worship. And we need to look like all the other gods that they're serving. You know, we only need a I'm afraid that the church eventually is going to be uh, uh, only a 15 minute service eventually. Right. Because people can't stand for a 30 minute service. They can't stand for an hour. So we just everything we think about. It's like, oh, man, they serve the God of time. So here's what we need to do. We need to cut our service. And eventually worship's going to be a five minute service. You're going to have to catch it on the go. Joshua said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to serve the Lord the way he requires to be served. But then the last thing I see here is he says, I'm going to reserve. I'm going to reserve. Uh, Serve the Lord regardless of what everybody else chooses to do. Choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. You see, we don't all just have the influences of the gods of the fathers, the gods that were served before. It's not just the influences of the people who, in whose land we live. Sometimes you got to make a choice, even with church folks. Sometimes church folks. And I, again, don't, please don't hear me being judgmental of church folks. I love church folks. But you have to understand that sometimes in, even in churches, there is worship that's going on that's not worship that is true thankfulness to God. Even in churches, there is worship that's going on that God didn't require. And Joshua said, even if you are God's chosen people decide to choose to worship some other God, me and my household, me and, and, and the workers in my house, my servants, my family, we are going to choose the Lord no matter what you, the rest of you guys decide to do. And so he had a resolve to choose God, to serve God. It was a resolve of thankfulness. And it was his thankfulness of all the things that God had done for him up until this time that led to this resolve. And so this morning, church, as you began to and I began to head into this season of Thanksgiving, 
and we prepare our festivities for Thursday. I'm not suggesting you don't cook turkey. I'm not suggesting you don't eat to your heart's content. I'm not suggesting that you don't watch football. I will be. I am simply suggesting that we take time to remember all that God has done for us. I am suggesting that we learn and recognize what God requires out of his people and offer to God what he requires, not just one day out of the year. I am suggesting that we resolve to serve the Lord and to serve him out of thankfulness and to worship him out of thankfulness in, spite, in light of all that God has done for us in spite of what everybody else decides to do. That is true thankfulness. That is true thankfulness. Let me pray for you. Most gracious and heavenly Father, I just pray, God, that your word was clear, God. And that we, this lesson that we learn from Joshua, God, what he models, though he never says the words, he models thanksgiving. He models true thanksgiving. God, let our thanksgiving be a daily thanksgiving. Let it be a thanksgiving in which we reverence you in recognition of what you've done. Let our thanksgiving be a thanksgiving in which we serve you with authenticity and truthfulness, and faithfulness. Let our thanksgiving be a thanksgiving of action, where once we've contemplated and meditated and chewed on your goodness, we serve you with our actions. Father God, I pray that each one in here will make a resolve that as for them in their house, they choose the Lord, to serve the Lord. I pray, God, that what we offer you as thanksgiving, Father God, you will accept as it comes from your word, Father God. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to speak to this church. Now have your way in each of our hearts, Father God, that your word may penetrate and your Holy Spirit may use what was said and what is in this text to guide us to truth. May we honor you with our tongues. May we honor you with our hearts. May we honor you with our behavior. In Jesus' name, amen. going to enter into a time of response and maybe part of that response is to worship as these guys lead us in songs that remind us of the God we serve maybe your worship is to bring up a tithe or offering or a, a prayer request or a communication something that you've been meaning to share and you've just had a hard time doing and if if you call yourself a follower of Christ Maybe your response is going to be to come up and have communion. And I was just thinking about what Pastor Jeremy was saying. How, how, do we, how do we be thankful? How do we remember what God has done? And I think there's something we can all do. You don't have to do this if you don't want to, but think about it. Before you come up, think back on the day that you made a decision to follow Christ. Think back about what your life looked like on that day and then project your life today if you'd have been on the path that you were when you said yes to Jesus and if you think about that before you come up and have communion you're not going to be able to help but be thankful 
for what God has done. You know, we do communion every week, and part of the challenge of that is sometimes maybe it just becomes what we do. Maybe we become those church folks who just kind of do it over and over and over, and we forget that when we take the bread, we're celebrating that Christ died on the cross to take away all of the sin that we had, all of the sin that we will have. He took away the what we were going to become and gave us what he is. And when you dip it in the wine, we remember that that came at an incredible cost to him to be separated from God. So join with me in, in responding to what Pastor Jeremy said.